Welcome to Patient Stories. My name is Dr. Bertrand Liang, and these are episodes about some remarkable people whom I've met through the opportunity of being a physician. Separating the brain and the mind can be a dangerous endeavor. I met Ms. B in my general neurology clinic when I was working for a government facility. Surprisingly, she was alone. Unfortunately, no medical records and just a referral from the primary care clinic noting, quote, please evaluate and treat, unquote which was as nonspecific as a referral could get. She had a strange affect, flat, slow, and almost loud when she responded to standard greetings. I asked what had brought her to the clinic, and I got a very concrete answer. My primary doctor sent me here. This obviously did not pretend well to gather more information about the patient and her symptoms, but I persisted in any event. Are you on any medications? No. So why did you go to your family doctor? That elicited a better response. Namely, I'm having problems with concentration. When asked for specific examples, it was difficult for the patient to answer anything but that she was just stuck. I could see why the referral was so vague. It was an issue that there was some difficulty getting the information from the patient. So after making some additional attempts at getting a history and being somewhat unsuccessful, we went on to do a neuroexamination. In general, Ms. B during most of our interaction was almost emotionless. Usually there's a give and take in most interpersonal interactions where changes in facial expression or tone is a natural part of the interface. Throughout the examination, the patient really didn't express much and there didn't seem to be anything that localized to a specific area of her nervous system. I was perplexed, quite frankly that I wasn't finding anything. Even the patient's mental status examination was fairly normal, albeit somewhat slow and with the emotionless tone. However, when I asked the patient to walk, she suddenly and without any other provocation began to cry, almost violently, which, with large sobs and tears flowing down her face. I tried to console the patient, not knowing why she had suddenly become upset. After a few moments, the patient calmed down, stopped crying, and became stone-faced once again. Surprisingly, when asked why she had started to get upset, she answered that she didn't know. I began to suspect that this wasn't an issue with a neurologic problem, but a psychiatric one. I asked questions regarding areas that might indicate a psychosis, things like hearing voices, specific beliefs of persecution, implants, suicidal thoughts, all of which were denied by the patient. Still, I felt that the patient needed some sort of psychiatric consult, and asked the patient if I could schedule her with a psychiatrist for further evaluation. I did tell the patient that I would follow up subsequently to her being seen by the psychiatry service, to which she emotionlessly acknowledged. Several days later, I received a note from the consult liaison psychiatrist who had seen Ms. B. I called her up and she noted that she had felt that the patient had a major depressive disorder recurrent and had discovered her earlier history revealing a previous diagnosis of reactive depression, apparently from the death of her husband, who was a career military officer. This happened several years before. The patient had two children living outside the local area, but whom the psychiatrist had not been able to contact. I asked if the patient was well enough to live on her own, and the reply was that she had been living with a sister who apparently had noticed the behavioral changes and had brought her to the clinic in the first place. So it seemed that my initial thoughts that Ms. B had a psychiatric disorder were borne out. 
Psychiatry had started the patient on an antidepressant and arranged for regular follow-up. I thanked the psychiatrist, noting that I was scheduled to see the patient once more at the end of the month. When I saw Ms. B again, I was expecting the patient to be doing at least a bit better, given she'd been on antidepressants for about three weeks. If anything, the patient was worse. She did note that she'd been having issues with voiding, that her mouth was dry, and that she was having problems with blurry vision. I recognized this all to be the side effects of the medication and called the psychiatrist who instructed me to decrease the patient's dose and have the patient follow up later on that week. I relayed this to the patient to which she acknowledged in her familiar, emotionless way. However, when I went to shake the patient's hand at the end of our interview, she didn't let go. Similarly, when I tested her left hand, she had the same reaction, something called a grasp reflex. I immediately repaged the psychiatrist to ask about the medication and whether it could cause this. She relayed that she was not aware of this and we both agreed that we needed to get some imaging done. Suffice to say that an emergency CT scan showed a large tumor, most likely a meningioma, compressing both the frontal lobes. Neurosurgery was then consulted and the patient was quickly evaluated and then scheduled for surgery. The patient ultimately underwent a craniotomy with removal of a large meningioma. Both the psychiatry service and I followed the patient and over the next few months watched the patient improve tremendously from the flat affect woman whom I first saw to an incredibly vibrant woman with an almost ribald sense of humor to the amusement of many in the clinic. Both the psychiatrist and I agreed that sometimes we actually do see classic cases and the brain and the mind can never really be separated after all. Thank you very much for joining me for Patient Stories. Be happy, be healthy, and find peace.